but we live in that world right now. It's much more sinister than that, Eric. Anti-racism, the woke cult, has become the new gospel of the Antichrist. It is the new religion to replace Christianity, to replace it. Now, it has some common ground with Christianity, which the Antichrist would have to. In order to fool people, the Antichrist has to sound Christian. He has to sound more Christian than Jesus. And that's what you see progressive Christians saying. I've seen them say Jesus committed sins. Jesus was kind of a racist, but he learned. He learned from his sins and he repented them. And now we know better and we can improve on Jesus. I've seen them say that. Jesus sinned. Thank God we're more Christian than Jesus. They essentially say that. Welcome to the Eric Metaxas Show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program. It's Monday. Uh, Is it really Monday, Albin? I I want to tell uh, everybody coming up in this hour, because you've been very bad, John Zmirak is is going to be inflicted on you. And I'm sorry in advance, but you've been bad and we need to be good to our word. So John Zmirak is going to be on here any moment with the beagles in the background. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, Got to say this. We're doing a campaign with Food for the Poor. And um, most of you know that around this time of the year, uh, we do a campaign with Food for the Poor. We feel strongly that every human being uh, in this country is blessed and we need to share a blessing with those who are less blessed, less fortunate than we. Uh, so I want to say hundreds of folks have already donated via this program. Um, if you're not one of them, and that would probably be most of you, we want to provide food for starving kids throughout the Caribbean and Latin America with two meals a day for an entire year. Okay. Um, One of our favorite callers is a 16 year old who wanted to share with why she donated to food for the poor. Now, when you donate, I want to be real clear, uh, $72. If you donate $72, it feeds two kids, two meals per day for a year and gives them clean drinking water forever. That's $72, okay? You go to metaxastalk.com, click on the banner. There's other ways to give. But let's play the clip of Sarah, the 16-year-old. I just wanted to say I really admire your work with uh, Food for the Poor each year. I have an envelope that I keep on my nightstand, and each time I do get some money, I put a little bit away throughout the year, maybe like a dollar or two. It's for Food for the Poor. And so this year I saved up $80 to give, and I'm not saying any of this to brag. I just wanted to encourage your your listeners. If you can just spare a little bit, that that would be good. Bye. All right, folks, we're never going to stop talking about this until everybody gives a little bit. You can call, you can go to metaxastalk.com. That's the easiest thing. You'll see the banner. Uh, or you can call 844-863-HOPE, 844-863-HOPE, 844-863-HOPE. This is really very important. So we're asking you uh, to help. Metaxastalk.com is the banner. We'll be back with John Smirak. All over town, you go home. Big John. Big John. Every morning at the mine, you could see him arrive. He stood six foot six and weighed 245, kind of broad at the shoulder and narrow at the hip. 
and everybody knew you didn't give no lip to Big John. Ladies and gentlemen, I warned you, at least I tried to warn you. Some of you didn't listen. Nonetheless, here he is, John Zmirak. Hey, Eric. Good morning. <laughs> John, what's on your mind? You write for stream.org. That's Where do a, people, to, whether they whether they want me to or not, three to five times a week. Stream stream.org, stream.org. Um what should we talk about first? Well, first, some interesting news. Um, I got it. I just had to change the title of, of one of my columns from last week. The title was I won't shop for shampoo or prescriptions at abortion clinics, which CVS, Walgreens and Rite Aid now are. But I've got some good news. I had to take Walgreens out of the title. Uh, CVS, Walgreens and Rite Aid had all made a deal with the Biden regime to sell the abortion pill over the counter through their pharmacies. So you can just go in and buy the, the morning after abortion pill, which forces a fertilized egg. That is a new baby uh, to be expelled from the body. Uh, It has a lot more medical complications than surgical abortions. It's not really safe, but the Biden administration is so desperate after the distru- the overturning of the fraudulent decision Roe v. Wade, they're so desperate to keep abortion available that they're willing to just give women dangerous chemicals uh, through their local drugstore. And to their disgrace, CVS and Rite Aid are still doing it. But Walgreens, which had been doing it, changed its mind. Thanks to people like us speaking up, Walgreens turned around and said, we're not going to sell this anymore. Now the abortion lobby is trying to get its people to boycott Walgreens. And I'm telling everyone, go to Walgreens. I'm switching my prescriptions from CVS to Walgreens to thank them for making their decision. Okay, John, this is, listen, this is very important. I want to be clear. Ladies and gentlemen, this is where we are now. If you who take life seriously continue to shop at CVS or Rite or, or Rite Aid and you have the option of going to Walgreens it's on you now listen that's the american way we tend to be lazy we go along we kind of act like well what can i do you can do this You can do this. Or let me say this. If you can do this, if you can shop at Walgreens and never shop at CVS or Rite Aid again, I'm begging you to do that. If we do not do these little things, I mean, listen, we had African-Americans walked to work for a year, for a year did not get on the buses, made an unbelievable sacrifice because of an unjust law. You have to pay a price. You have to make a sacrifice to move the needle. This is a joke compared to that. So if you have the option, if you don't have the option, that's a different story. But if you have the option to shop at Walgreens and you don't, and you keep giving your money to CVS and Rite Aid, who are, listen, these places... The reason that, you know, they're evil is because they will pretend like, oh, well, we just want to offer everything. Yeah. Many people I know 
went to these places to CVS and said, can you give me ivermectin? Or and they said, no, 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 we're not going to give that to you. Exactly. So these are, that happened these are to me. fascists. That these happened to fascists. me. I had to order ivermectin from an online feed store and it came in a box with a pig and a cow on the bottle. I still have it in my refrigerator. The little <laughs> bottle of <laughs> medicine. <laughs> OK, that is <laughs> CVS wouldn't fill my prescription from my doctor because they had an ethical objection to it, but they don't mind turning their drugstore into an abortion clinic. I don't get my dental floss at Planned Parenthood. I'm certain I'm not going to get it at CVS or, or Rite Aid either. And again, I want to thank Walgreens for listening to its consumers, listening to its customers and, and not turning every friendly drugstore on the corner into an abortion clinic. You know, Eric, when I pass abortion clinics, I always like say the St. Michael prayer, or make the sign of the cross. I feel the demonic presence in those places. I don't want to feel that at every CVS, but it's there now. Ladies and gentlemen, in case you didn't get the memo, CVS and Rite Aid have taken the broad path that leads to destruction. And if you want to follow them, shop at CVS and Rite Aid. You've just heard information from John Zmirak that says that Walgreens shockingly did the right thing. You need to reward them if you can. And I just want to say, if the people who listen to this program would do this, if people in America would do this, we will change the country. But if we don't do this, if you still think everything's fine, let's just do what we need to do. Let's not worry about these kinds of things. Then the country will change us instead. Which it's has like, already happened. It's That's like the point. My, We've got to change it back. It's like my spiritual mentor, Gordon Ramsay, says on television, either run, the chef either runs the kitchen or the kitchen runs the chef. Well, that's the principle Christians need to apply to America. Christians either lead America or America leads Christians. So if you want to end up like Pete Buttigieg or, or Kamala, Kamala Harris or Joe Biden, if you want to end up that kind of exhausted post-Christian paper mache cutout, um, just just go continue to float downstream like a dead salmon. Some of us have decided to swim upstream. Well, um, it's interesting, John, because this kind of thing keeps coming up. There's little things that we can do. And I wonder who does it. I wonder who went to see Jesus Revolution this weekend, an absolutely excellent film starring Kelsey Grammer. I mean, sometimes, you know, God tees something up for you and go, here it is. Here it is. You, you've been complaining. Now you have a clear choice. What do you say? You're going to see Cocaine Bear or Jesus Revolution. Why not or, see both? Why not see both, Eric? I'm, I'm planning or, to see both. Or see both. No, <laughs> co- actually, Cocaine Bear has some very, very gruesome. Like, I heard very, the very, go- very gory things. And so I don't want to give it publicity, but it's I very gory. It dies at the end. So I don't want to see that. Uh, yeah. Well, in all seriousness, the, the the Jesus Revolution is is astonishing. And my friend, my friend Malachi O'Brien, who will be on this program tomorrow, I believe he has said um, and I want to make this famous because it's a beautiful phrase. The fame of revival spreads the flame of revival. In other words, when people are talking about 
there's revival going on this. It actually gets people to to drive and to go and to participate. And this is what happened with George Whitfield in the 18th century. People would hear about it and they would go. The fame of revival spreads the flame of revival. Malachi O'Brien got it right. So you have a choice. You can actually go support these good things. You can go see the film. You can take people who aren't on the same page as you theologically and not be afraid that it's going to be an embarrassing movie. It's going to be a wonderful movie. It's starring Kelsey stinking grammar. He's amazing. And here you have a choice. I can shop at a CVS or at a Rite Aid or at a Walgreens. Walgreens has done the right thing and refused to support the abortion industry. You need to reward them, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't reward them. And again, this is provided you have the option. Maybe maybe you don't have an option. And I'm not trying to drive people crazy. But if we don't take action, if we don't support those who are supporting our values, we deserve what we get. And And I really feel that's part of what my book, Letters to the American Church, is about. Like, we've got to wake up. Do you understand we're in a war? And if you're not willing to make all these kinds of sacrifices, do you think that uh, somebody else will make it? But I can't make it. I want to I want to get people emboldened. Um, And also. Let them know why. Like, I'm going to go to the CBS where I have up till now filled all my prescriptions and bought all my, you know, toiletries. And I'm going to say, listen, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be shopping here anymore because y'all have become an abortion clinic. Have a nice life. God bless. Let you know them what you know. ought to do, John. You ought to at stream.org uh, add uh, to your article or write a new article and write a letter that people can copy and paste and with an address, because this is the sort of thing we need to do. I mean, this That's is right. the That's kind right. of thing that Jim Dobson would exhort people to do uh, in the 80s and the 90s. And all the woke Christians said, like, oh, he's being too much of a political activist. Yeah, he's ex- standing up f- f- against the murder of children. Sorry about that. Sorry that he's actually living out his faith. We need somebody, you know, who's just like more cool with the death culture. Uh, we don't want that. Ladies and gentlemen, if we do not do these things, we deserve what we get. So, John, I'm so grateful to you. You you do the research. You find out this stuff. Uh, it, it's amazing. What's the title of your article at stream.org in case people want to look at it? I won't shop for shampoo or prescriptions at abortion clinics, which CVS and Rite Aid now are. CVS and Rite Aid. I tell you, this is where we are in the culture, folks. So I just want to be blunt and tell you, if you have the option, uh, get out of CVS, get out of Rite Aid, take the trouble. If you can't tell them why, don't tell them. If you can tell them, tell them, go to Walgreens and tell them why you're there. God bless you. We'll be right back. Folks, welcome back. Because you've been bad, my guest is John Zmirak. John, I apologize for my bad audience. Now, please inflict yourself on them and don't hold back because they've been very bad. You know, sometimes people make the joke with me after listening to one of my rants. John, don't hold back. Tell us what you really think. And I look at them dead serious and I say, but I was holding back. And then they gasp. And there's a couple of seconds of silence. And they say, well, you just carry on holding back. If this is you holding back, right. you keep doing right. that little trooper and the, the noogie can rustle that, my that, hair. That is, that, actually, it's funny because since I know you, I know that that's true. 
Um, okay. In the previous segment, we want to remind people CVS and Rite Aid have bowed the knee to bail or to be technical to Moloch. Moloch, yeah. CVS and Rite Aid have bowed the knee to Moloch, a very great demonic entity, and they offer abortion pills. They're happy to do it. They don't want to offer ivermectin or any of that scary pro-Trump medicine. So they are offering those things. Walgreens is not. You need to reward Walgreens. Take whatever you ever dollar you can take away from CVS or from Rite Aid and go to Walgreens. We talked about in the previous segment. John's written an article about it. This is very serious. Get the word out to your friends. This is important. This is how we change culture. John, let's talk about your other article about Scott Adams, who created the Dilbert cartoons. That's right. He, uh, he has already been stuffed down the memory hole. And within a few weeks, uh, people will pretend that they don't even know what his name means. Scott Adams created Dilbert, which is a brilliant cartoon that's been around for 20 years. He's got books of Dilbert. He's got other non-Dilbert books. And he was one of the few celebrities to support Trump uh, six years ago. Feels like a hundred years ago, but it was only six or seven years ago. Uh, He has been canceled. His comic strip has been pulled out of the newspapers. His books have been canceled. They're no longer going to be sold by the publishers. His agent fired him. I know you were thinking of having him on the show, but you're not sure you can get hold of him because his agent won't work for him anymore. All of this because he offended the priests of Baal. He he offended the new religion of the Antichrist, which is the woke cult. He said stuff that they could plausibly portray as racist. And as you and I have talked about, people with Darwinian materialists who claim that life is just a cosmic accident of chemicals knocking together, somehow managed to believe that there's a moral reason in that universe, that Darwinian universe, that racism is wrong and homophobia and transphobia are wrong. Where do right and wrong come from? If, if we're just cosmic chemical accidents, where do you suddenly get the idea of respecting human beings and treating them as intrinsically equal? I mean, you can look at them. They're not equal. They're not equally sized. They're not equally shaped. They're not equally smart. They're not equally good looking. But you have to pretend that they're equal. Why are they equal? Well, they're only equal if God made them and Jesus redeemed them. That's the source of equality where the civil rights movement put its its took its stand. If the civil rights movement had not been based in the Christian churches, if it had been based in the Communist Party or the Nation of Islam, it would have failed. The, I'm thankful it succeeded. It succeeded because it convinced the churches that Christianity and the, the Bible, the God of the Old Testament, all demand equal dignity for all human beings of every ethnic background. The left wants to throw out the baby and drink the bathwater. The baby is the baby Jesus. The bathwater is the politics. And they want to say, oh, we have to have not just racial equality, but trans equality and minor attracted persons. That is pedophile equality. And, And the insane dialectic of destruction that they've set up in our society 
but they want to get rid of the only reason that you should not follow Charles Darwin straight to Adolf Hitler, because Hitler was simply taking Darwin seriously and applying him practically. The way Lenin applied Marx, Hitler applied Darwin. And as I like to say, no lives matter, this I know, because Charles Darwin taught me so. And that's my response to Black Lives Matter. No lives matter. And I had the little Darwin fish. No, no, no lives matter. Let me reassure you, no lives matter. Your lives don't matter any more than mine. Let's just get together and embrace the void, okay? And then they go, oh, wait, wait, I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't think I, I agree with that, but oh, why? Tell me why. No, tell me why. I want you to tell me why the survival of the fittest implies racial equality. Go. Oh, no, listen, it's kind of funny because I just spoke about that this weekend in St. Louis at Grace Church in St. Louis. Everywhere I go, almost everywhere, I talk about what you just said. And we need to push this, folks. We need to, but they do not have the beginning of the reason for why racism is wrong. We know why it's wrong. We know that it's wrong, but we know why it's wrong They don't have a clue. The woke left doesn't have a clue. And so they're just bullies. They just they kind of pick ideas and then they just beat you over the head with it. And they've used this, of course, to cancel Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert. When we come back, we're going to talk more about that with John Zmirak and Alvin. We do need to get Scott Adams on this uh, program. Let's do that. Folks, we'll be right back. Uh, Before I let you go, I want to remind you, you need to give to Food for the Poor. Go to metaxastalk.com. 844-863-HOPE, 844-863-HOPE, 844-863-HOPE. Folks, welcome back. We're talking to John Zmirak. John, uh, you're telling us that Scott Adams, the creator of the Dilbert cartoons, said some things on Twitter or whatever that have gotten him totally crushed and canceled. I don't know what he said, but I I know that he's not a racist. So the idea that people are trying to find something that he said to kind of twist it in that direction, that's where we are. I've been called every name and it's just kind of it's kind of silly. But we live in that world right now. It's much more sinister than that, Eric. Anti-racism, the woke cult, has become the new gospel of the Antichrist. It is the new religion to replace Christianity, to replace it. Now, it has some common ground with Christianity, which the Antichrist would have to. In order to fool people, the Antichrist has to sound Christian. He has to sound more Christian than Jesus. And that's what you see progressive Christians saying. I've seen them say Jesus committed sins. Jesus was kind of a racist, but he learned. He learned from his sins and he repented them. And now we know better and we can improve on Jesus. I've seen them say that. Jesus sinned. Thank God we're more Christian than Jesus. They essentially say that. That is the woke cult of the Antichrist. And anytime you hear somebody talk about critical race theory, what he is saying is, I heart Antichrist. Welcome the abomination of desolation into the holy place. Yeehaw, yeehaw, yippity, we love the Antichrist. That's what CRT is about when they talk about 
Most of the people talking about racial reconciliation, this is what they mean. There are a few sincere people out there, but a lot of them are simply bending the knee to Antichrist, which is to say equality without sin, redemption, and the resurrection. Just equality in itself is a God, which we have to worship. So Scott Adams did did a couple interviews on YouTube, a couple of videos, and in them he pointed out that a Rasmussen study of African-American public opinion asked a few hundred black people, do you think it's okay to be white? Now, the phrase, it's okay to be white, is something that white racists came up with as a troll. And they started just saying, it's okay to be white. It's okay to be white. And well, there's nothing offensive about that. It's that's just, what's it's just so a reaction to the stupidity of that I'm supposed to be guilty for, for being white or Greek or German or whatever that like, I mean, it's so stupid and itself so racist. Uh, and, but and don't so realize it, Eric, thousands of Americans are subject to diversity training at their workplace where they're told that whiteness in itself is evil, that it's a social and moral problem. Coke had one campaign, be less white. Uh, this it's not funny and it's not trivial. It's like the hatred that the Nazis whipped up towards the Jews or that the toots, the Tutsis whipped up towards the, the Hutus whipped up towards the Tutsis in Rwanda and the Bolsheviks whipped up towards the, the Kulaks in Russia. It is a hate campaign designed to sow racial division and hatred in order to encourage a Marxist takeover revolution in america so no we need to it's not funny it's not silly it's demonic subtle difference subtle but i insist well yes ultimately it it is absolutely demonic these these white people these white racialists who are themselves deplorable in a bad way they're 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 bad genuinely deplorable they came right they came up with something funny clever they said it's okay to be white now if you deny that, you're an anti-white racist. But if you affirm it, people are going to think you're a member of their extremist group. So it was very clever. Rasmussen asked this question of black Americans, is it okay to be white? And 25% of them said no. And another 25% said they weren't sure. Now that that's kind of disturbing. Imagine they'd ask that of white people. Is it? But okay I mean, but the point is like, I feel like there's just stupid people uh, in, in every group. So when you ask a stupid question, it, no, this I, I just much, don't understand even why they're taking these polls. But please Eric, continue. It's much, Eric, you're I think you're 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 kind of calming your nerves by dismissing this as silly. The, yeah. When you have things like the, remember the Christmas parade massacre in Wisconsin, where yeah. a black nationalists took a van and tried to kill as many white people as possible. And the moment they found out it didn't involve a gun and that the killer wasn't white, it disappeared from the newspapers. There is a campaign to spread racial and religious hatred in America, and it comes from the pit of hell. And whether it's on the right or on the left, whether it's white or it's black, it's profoundly evil. And the Rasmussen poll suggested that a lot of black people, probably led by white elite opinion, by white-controlled media, leftist media, don't think it's okay for white people to exist. Scott Adams commented on that. He said, if this is true, if something like half of black people aren't sure whether it's okay for white people to exist, if that's true, then we whites should just stay away from them because, you know, they hate us. So we'll just leave them alone. And he also said, you know, that's what we don't live in 
Most people don't want to live in black neighborhoods because of the crime, including black people don't want to live in those neighborhoods because of the crime. That's what he and he said, we've tried to help them. I think we should give up on them now. So these things, these are not Christian things to say. Okay, Scott Adams, as far as I know, is not a Christian. And these are things which, as Christians, we can criticize from a spiritual point of view because we believe in the Good Samaritan helping a stranger on the road. We believe in repenting for sin, for our ancestors' sins of slavery and segregation. We believe in helping people even if their wounds are self-inflicted. We believe in reaching out to the children of prisoners. We believe in all these things because Jesus rose from the dead. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Charles Darwin does not teach us to do these things. So all the Darwinian materialists out there who laugh at the Discovery Institute, they laugh at intelligent design. They have the foot, the the fish with the feet on the back of their Prius. They have no argument against racism. They have no excuse for condemning Scott Adams. It's one pack of pagans yelling at another pagan, Scott Adams, that he's not a good Christian. Well, neither are they. And Christianity and Jesus is the only solution to racial and ethnic and even religious division. If you don't have, if we don't meet at the foot of the cross, we're going to meet across the barbed wire in no man's land because human beings, we're killers. We're a date. We're we, a fallen race. We're going to go to a break. Uh, we've got another segment with John Zmirak. When we go to the break, hey, here's another thing you crazy Christians can do because Jesus rose from the dead. You can feed the poor. I'm exhorting you. To do that, give what you can, 844-863-HOPE, 844-863-HOPE, or metaxastalk.com, metaxastalk.com. You'll see the banner. Please do that. Please. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, John Smirak. John, please continue. Well, so what we're facing in our culture is a new religion to replace Christianity because man needs a religion. Hitler tried to create a new religion for the Third Reich, a kind of racial pantheism. And if you're interested in that, Richard Weichart has an amazing book called The Religion of Adolf Hitler, where he goes through diary entries and all the all the documentation to find out what what Hitler really believed. What Hitler believed was in a Darwinian replacement for Christianity. He, he was willing to leave the churches in place as long as he could hollow them out from the inside and make them Darwinian instead of Christian. It wasn't a melding of the two. Darwinism was to replace Christianity. And he was going to use anti-communism and use the threat of Stalin. Excuse me. And by the way, that's what the woke cult is trying to do to churches in America today, which is right. why I wrote my book, Letter to the American Church. You need to be aware of this, folks. You need to stand up against what Hitler tried to do, which is import Darwinian values into the church to hollow it out, to make it a non-church church, an anti-Christ church. That's, John, what you're talking about. That's right. And so what they're doing now is they're taking equality and equity and diversity and all these things that are 
second and third order implications of Christian morality. And they're make, worshiping them as a god. It's kind of like the golden calf. There's nothing evil about calves. God made calves. Bulls were symbols of fertility in the ancient Near East. You should be nice to cows. You should not make a gold idol and worship them instead of God. Equality is like a cow. It's a good thing God made. God wants it to be there. Don't worship it. Don't make a gold idol out of it and prostrate yourself in front of it. That's what's happening. This Here's a very good reason why these people can't tell you why is racism wrong. And I want to encourage everyone, ask your secular friends, why is racism wrong? And really press them and, and try to get them to justify it based on the survival of the fittest, based on secular, entirely secular, materialistic, scientific values. They will, some of them may have strokes and you may have to be ready to call the EMTs because these people, they have, racism is the ultimate evil. Okay. They have, they have no ultimate good. They have no God. So they create an ultimate evil and racism leads to the Holocaust. The Holocaust is the ultimate evil. Anything that's even quasi racist is like going to lead to the Holocaust. So the Confederate flag equals the Nazi flag and America before 1965 was as bad as Nazi Germany. You see Holocaust museums trying to mush together the American civil rights struggle with the struggle against the Nazis as if segregated lunch counters were death camps. It's all mushed together. But to them, it's like I see people arguing, you know, we go after Planned Parenthood, which kills babies. We try to convince people it's bad because it's also racist. That's an example of us trying to play their game. Killing babies might be bad if you can also show that it's racist because racism is the ultimate evil. So when you ask people why, why is racism evil? They don't have an answer because that is the new God. The anti-racism is the new God, the golden calf that they're worshiping. They can't justify worshiping the golden calf. So they go crazy. They get angry. They hate you. They, they try to destroy you personally and professionally, which is what they're doing to Scott Adams. And in my usual role as a kamikaze columnist, I decided to stick up for him, even while being critical of what he said. I want to show I disagree with what Scott Adams said because it's not Christian. And now, where's your article? Stream.org. That's right. I have two articles on this. One is called, okay. Is It Okay to Be Scott Adams? Okay. And the second part is, Scott Adams is a racist because he is made of wood. Okay. Okay. We're out of time. John, we love you. Thank you, my friend. We will be back with Hour 2, Miracle Monday. Don't go away. Coming up, um, what does Marjorie Taylor Greene really mean when she talks about a na um, national divorce? Is she talking about secession? Is she talking about something else? I want to argue that some form of a divorce is already going on within America. I'll comment on how Ron DeSantis cleverly took over a progressive college and turned it unwoke. And why today's generation is far from the smartest in history. It actually might be one of the dumbest. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Show. This voice. 
The times are crazy. In a time of confusion, division, and lies, we need a brave voice of reason, understanding, and truth. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Podcast. I want to further discuss Marjorie Taylor Greene's idea of a uh, national divorce. Now, this is an idea that has stimulated a lot of comment, a lot of it derisive from the left, uh, most of it very uninformed and sometimes uninformed on both sides of the debate. But um, let's begin by thinking about what Marjorie Taylor Greene meant by this, because the concept of, an, of a national divorce can be understood in more than one way. In fact, I can think off the top of my head of at least three or four ways that we can interpret it. So one way to interpret it would be, for example, secession. We split the country into two. And of course, that has some sorts of operational difficulties. It's not quite a simple of north-south or east-west. It would have to be a very complex division. So that's option, but that's only option number one. Uh, option number two would be that we create parallel societies to Americas inside of America, something I've argued for um, and uh, something that to some degree is already happening. I'll say more about that in the next segment. But that's the second option. A third option is decentralization of power. Take power away from Washington. Now we can see that people in Washington won't want to give up power without a fight, without a struggle. But nevertheless, uh, the idea of um, uh, dispersing power uh, to the different jurisdictions, that, that way red states can live the way they want, blue states can live the way they want. The federal government oversees the process, but it's not the kind of nerve center of making decisions for the whole country. So. These are three different ways to think about the so-called national divorce. Let's listen to Marjorie Taylor herself because she gave a lengthy interview in which she spelled out her thoughts about it, which I think are quite provocative. And the first thing she says is that uh, many Americans are giving up. They're sick of the talking heads that just complain about problems and politicians who don't fix anything uh, while the right keeps taking beatings and abuse from the left. So this is her point that our, our starting point is Kind of the Texas motto, we're not going to take it anymore. Uh, it's not enough just to sit around and analyze and comment and do, uh, you know, depressing shows, hopefully mine and not included, uh, in which people just talk about how the world is coming to an end and how this is going to make you really angry and next time it's going to make you angrier. And Marjorie Taylor Greene is, we, we need a way out of this. And it's, it's hard to see, um, hard to say that she's not right about that. Now, of course, there are some people saying to Marjorie Taylor Greene, well, listen, you know, let's remember that California used to be Nixon country. It used to be Reagan country. Uh, and look at even people like um, uh, like uh, Pataki and um, and look at people like Mayor Giuliani. They were elected uh, to power even in New York. But Marjorie Taylor Greene goes, well, that may have been true once, but not now. She says, quote, the, the red California that gave us Reagan is gone. And that was another, that was a long time ago. California is now like a weird communist country. Uh, and it's true. It may well be today. We used to always think and take it as a premise. It's better to live in America than anywhere else. But there may be lots of places now in the world that are better to live in than, say, California, given the sort of not only the confiscatory taxes, but the repressive regulations. She goes on to say, Matt Gates is right when he says our government constantly cheats on its own people with foreign countries. And uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene says, marriage counseling we all need. What she's getting at here is 
I mean, think about in marriage, of course, infidelity is, is, is a way to betray marriage. And when you have political leaders in this country that would rather seek the welfare of illegals trying to come into the country or rather seek the welfare of people in Ukraine or people in China over U.S. citizens, then you know that the marriage, if you will, has a problem. She goes on to say reducing the power and size of the federal government and giving more to the states in order to protect ourselves and our kids from the abusive left is the bold action that needs to be taken. So here she's getting to one interpretation of the divorce, and that is federalism. Now, federalism is in no way a national divorce. I mean, the American founders favored federalism. They favored dispersing power to the states. Uh, they um, wanted a central government to do certain essential things, but they limited the power of that government. And it became a characteristic of our society that we have un we have limited government as opposed to the unlimited government that you have in other democratic societies. Uh, you think about a country like England, which is a democratic country for sure, uh, but they have a parliamentary system of government and parliament, you may say, is king. And I mean that phrase almost literally, because just as the king had almost unlimited power, Power. It could essentially vote to take away your house or suppress this guy's free speech. Parliament has that kind of power, even now. It's restrained somewhat by the common law, but otherwise it has virtually unlimited power in principle, but not in the United States. And then, says Marjorie Taylor Greene, just like the prodigal son, once the left gets to truly live in their own filth that they've created without us, then they will be able to realize the error of their ways. So here she's pivoting to the other definition of a national divorce, which is, hey, listen, let the, let the, let the, the blue states make decisions and live with the consequences. If people want to see rampant crime on the streets, they want to see homeless people, you know, intruding on you, insulting you with obscenities, sitting outside your, your home or your apartment, uh, defecating in front of you as you walk by, you know what? That's your America. You do that. You live with it and see how well you like. It. Don't get don't don't make us live like that. Don't make us subsidize your disgusting ways. So this is, uh, I think, a um, a kind of clarification of Mar what Marjorie Taylor Greene is getting at. She's not specifying a particular remedy. She's not saying let's secede. What she's saying is let's think of ways in which we can break this log jam in which the left is repressively shutting down our basic rights, our freedom of speech, our freedom of religion, our freedom of movement. They're trying to make us live in their America and we won't. I'm continuing my discussion of Marjorie Taylor Greene's idea of a national divorce. But uh, I want to argue in this segment that this is something that is already going on. It's not a separation of America, but it's a separation of the two ideological camps within America. Now, I've argued for some time, and I also argue in my speeches about how we have to create our own America inside of America and live in it and police it, defend it. And that means creating our own schools, a, um, a massive project, but we have to do it, our own colleges and universities. I don't think we need to build hundreds of brick and mortar institutions. I think we need a few of those, but we also need um, a high quality online education offered at a very low cost. And the beauty of this is not only does this provide an alternative to what's uh, in higher education, but it destroys the existing model of higher education, which relies on parents putting their lifetime savings aside 
uh, and um, then putting it at the altar of sending their kids off to schools that often do nothing more than ideologically indoctrinate and corrupt um, you against your children against your values. But um, let me focus now on just the simple fact that people are voting with their feet against uh, blue America and moving to red America. And by the way, that's a pretty good sign of which system is working better, right? I mean, you have what Hayek called a framework of competing utopias. Uh, the blue states are building their utopia, if you want to call it that. I don't even think they would call it that. But they would claim, well, it's necessary in the name of equity. Uh, um, nonsense. But nevertheless, they want to build their own society. Let them. We're building our own. And the question is, let's look and see where people are migrating. And it turns out it's pretty obvious people are leaving the blue states and going to the red states. And there's no movement the other way that's comparable. So um, nine of the top 10 states gaining population were red states led by Florida. Seven of the top 10 losers are blue states led by New York. Now, here's the LA Times reporting about California. The California exodus has shown no sign of slowing down. Even as the state's population dropped by 500,000 people, 500,000 people left California between 2020 and 2022. Uh, but now uh, the number of residents uh, that's leaving has surpassed um, 700,000. So California is, I won't say emptying itself out because there are a bunch of people left there, but a lot of people are leaving and they're leaving because they're disgusted by California. Now, it's kind of crazy because uh, some of the left-wingers who look at this go, well, no, 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 people are leaving the blue states and going to the red states because the climate is better. Well, I mean, that argument would apply to a point uh, with, say, New York and Florida. Um, and in some ways, even Trump sort of endorsed that point by saying, oh, this is really why people are more moving to Florida, not just because of DeSantis, whom he calls DeSanctimonious. <laughs> he has three or four variations on De DeSantis's name. But nevertheless, the point being this, it doesn't explain why people are leaving California. The climate's amazing. The climate's beautiful. California, I think, is far and away the most beautiful state in the nation. Um, I say that as as a former Californian who got up and left. So I am part of this migration. And, um, uh, and why are people leaving? Well, I mean, one factor, I guess, is economics. Uh, and so we see this um, in people moving, for example, from California to Idaho, to Utah, to Montana. Real estate values are better. It's easier to open a business. Um, and you don't have a 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 percent state tax rate. Think of it. You have a federal tax rate. And if you move into the upper brackets, 37, 38, 39, and then you add a California rate of what, 12, 13 percent, you're at a 50 percent. You're paying Scandinavian taxes uh, in California without, by the way, well-run Scandinavian services and well-run Scandinavian benefits. The Scandinavian welfare state works because they tax you a lot, but they also have well-provided services. California does the former, but, but not the latter. So economics is one reason why people are uh, participating in this kind of national divorce. And here I mean they're moving out. They're moving out of the um, the red states. It may not be a formal divorce, but it's like, I quit. I'm out of here. They're moving out of the blue states, sorry. And the other reason they're doing it, I think, is political freedom. This is often the ignored second component because uh, here's DeSantis. He talks about Florida. He goes, where woke, Florida's where woke goes to die. 
And where work goes to die is also where freedom comes to live. And so people want economic prosperity and they want opportunity, but they also want a chance to live their own lives. And that is perhaps the most obvious definition of freedom. I want to talk to you about uh, something that I'm going to call DeSantis University. <laughs> DeSantis University. Now, that's not its official name. We're actually talking about a college called the New College of Florida. And the New College of Florida is a progressive left-wing institution. Uh, by the way, it's almost uh, two to one female to male. It's got a huge... Um, uh, so-called uh, gay, or I guess they call themselves queer and trans community. Uh, some of the professors are trans, openly so, and so on. And and this doesn't, by the way, distinguish the new College of Florida because there are other private liberal arts colleges that are like this. So in that sense, you can say you got a college in Florida that looks a lot like some of the worst colleges in Portland or in the West Coast or uh, in the Northeast. But the difference, of course, is that the new College of Florida is a public institution. It's funded by taxpayer money. And, and it's cheap. Uh, it's only $7,000 a year, which means that a lot of people who can't afford to go to more pricey sort of progressive institutions can go here, uh, and they, and they do. Now, a lot of times when conservatives encounter these progressive institutions, we just inveigh against them. We decry them. We expose them. We describe what they're doing. I do a good bit of this on the podcast. Um, but, uh, and I also advocate for alternatives, but DeSantis figure out there is an alternative and there is an alternative available to us politically. And that is why just complain about this left wing state funded institution. Let's take it over. Let's actually run it our way. Uh, and that means uh, not running out the leftists who are in the institution, but changing the composition of the faculty over time. Uh, changing the composition of the curriculum, changing the mission of the university. Why don't we take this hippie college, if you will, with all its uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, all its left-wing indoctrination, all its uh, you know speech codes and enforced orthodoxy, uh, and let's create a new orthodoxy. And so DeSantis began to um, appoint new members to the board. He started appointing uh, political guys from his own team, uh, academics like Mark Bauerlein, a very prominent uh, English uh, professor who used to teach for many years at Emory, College, Emory University, I believe, Chris Rufo. Uh, and he brought these guys uh, onto the board uh, and they began to expose the deficiencies of this college, number one. A whole bunch of students drop out before the end of their first year. Number two, uh, a whole bunch of them get no jobs after they leave. Why? Because they're essentially majors in indoctrination. They spout left-wing garbage. Who wants to Who wants to hire that? What kind of skills is that? How does that prepare you for the workforce? And three, the, the few guys coming out of this college that get jobs make a lousy income. In fact, their median salary is $32,000. Now, I'm not sneering at that salary, but I'm saying you could make that salary just by getting by not going to college. Lots of people, in fact, who are welders and people who work on oil rigs make three times the salary, and they don't have a college education at all. 
So basically, this this college in Florida, because it values indoctrinated spouting indoctrinated propaganda and activism over productive work is producing these losers who are essentially a drain on society, many of them. So um, so new board, new trustees, new majority, new vision. And I think over time, we're going to see also new faculty. Uh, one of the board members, I think, very coolly said, let's fire the entire faculty. Uh, now, ordinarily, you can't fire a faculty because some of them have tenure. They go, no, listen, we're, uh, but there is a way out. There's a loophole. And the loophole is, and by the way, this is a loophole exploited by the federal government, national emergency. If there's a national emergency due to COVID, the old rules go out the window and you, t- uh, you take on so-called emergency powers. Well, the trustees can say this college is facing an, a financial emergency. It cannot, it's not viable as an institution uh, unless we do something drastic. And that means, professors, all of you are going to see a pink slip on your desk tomorrow morning. Start clearing out. Uh, and we're either going to rehire you based upon new considerations, new criteria, new interviews, a new process, or we're just going to bring in a bunch of whole new people. So that that proposal, somewhat radical, uh, and maybe it needs to be done in a kind of a measured, well-thought-out way, hasn't really advanced very far. But what has advanced is that this new board at this college has already uh, now outlawed uh, the DEI bureaucracy. So no more diversity, equity, and inclusion. They are officially a school that is uh, committed to what Rufo calls the principle of colorblind equality. So we're back to Martin Luther King here. We're going to be judge, judging people on their merits and by the content of their character, both, but not by the color of their skin, not by their sex organs, not by their gender, not by their nocturnal habits. That's all out. The president of the college, uh, Patricia Oker, a standard academic feminist left wing type, has been given the boot. She's out. She's been replaced by uh, DeSantis's first commissioner of education, Patricia Oker. And so good things are happening at this college. This is really why I call it the DeSantis University. And I think an important principle that's being illustrated by DeSantis here is that when you have power, don't just complain about stuff. Use your power and do something about it. Subscribe to the Dinesh D'Souza podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify, or watch on Rumble, YouTube, and SalemNow.com.